0: Good evening, everyone. Welcome back to Spin Class. We're talking politics. I'm your host, Michael Fregan here on the Nachum Segal Network, dot jmintheam.org. Coming to you from the Lower East Side of Manhattan and the political world is abuzz with all kinds of different things going on. Here in New York, in New Jersey, also nationally, there's always stories to talk about. But this week, we're going to devote the show a little bit to something I've seen going on in the reaches of New York State, out there in the hinterlands, the flyover counties. Uh, that's flyover if you're headed from New York to Buffalo and New York to Toronto or New York to uh, uh, New York City to upstate New York and the like. That's the Hudson Valley. But there's been some troubling stuff. We're going to have some guests on later in the show. But the first thing I want to get is a little update because we had a guest on a couple of weeks ago, Zach Fink, who was telling us uh, very interesting about bedfellows or strange bedfellows or friendships in politics. But I didn't really realize at the time that Zach was an expert in New Jersey. And there's so much more going on these days with regard to that scandal known as Bridgegate And, yeah, Bridgegate sounds funny when talking about a bridge. But I think you out there all know what we're talking about. And we're talking about Governor Christie and just the drip, drip, drip of revelations going on with regard to the subpoenas. Uh, But first, I want to mention to thank our sponsor, Beckerman Public Relations, Beckerman PR, Beckerman Public Affairs. If you want to tell your story, tell it with Beckerman. And we're proud that they're continuing their sponsorship here with Spin Class. So, Zach is uh, at New York One as well as YNN. They might actually be the same network. And he covers politics in Albany and New York City, but I guess has a particular expertise with regard to New Jersey, which has been very interesting when covering the bi-state port authority. And we've discussed on this show the unique animal that is the port authority of New York and New Jersey and how it's governed by two governors as well as their respective staffs. But Zach has been uncovering some interesting things on the New York side of the New Jersey equation. And if that's not confusing enough, I'm sure it'll get more confusing as we move forward. Zach, welcome back to SPIN class.
1: Michael, so good to be with you again. Thanks for having me.
0: So hopefully the introduction was good enough that I did justice to your your dual hybrid nature of that New York, New Jersey (laughs) cross-Hudson understanding. Uh, There's so much going on uh, on a daily basis with regard to Bridgegate and the George Washington Bridge. And, you, you know, the one thing just to look at it start off is Chris Christie a couple months ago looking as national material and now potentially because of something as stupid as traffic tie up, he is potentially people are saying he might not have finished out his term. So what is going on? What's the latest we are we continue to be and how long will this go on and continue to be a nightmare for Chris Christie?
1: Well, I think you put it perfectly with the drip drip of information. I mean that that's precisely Christie's problem here, right? I mean it's not it's not you know, the facts are now known. Uh, there were a couple revelations in January just through the fact that this was ordered specifically by people in his office, not even the campaign office, but the office of the governor, which represents the people of the state of New Jersey. Um, that much is known. So far, we don't have evidence directly tying Christie to knowing about this prior to the authorization, but that's looming. That's hanging over him. Everybody's waiting for that to see if it exists. David Wildstein who is the man at the center of this, who is at the Port Authority, Christy's eyes and ears, uh, has said that he has that evidence. So we're waiting to see what happens. So the, the thing is, there's multiple investigations on several fronts, so information just keeps coming out and keeps coming out and keeps coming out. And there has apparently been, in my conversations with some of the people on the Jersey side, who have been trying to obtain emails, text messages, just general information about what they knew when this happened, what the timeline of events was in terms of whether or not people within the Port Authority, you know, put a stop to this, blew the whistle in a timely enough fashion and were accountable to the public about it, um, that there have been delays in terms of providing some of this information. So the, it, the, the Port Authority, as you mentioned, that it's a very complex agency that really operates outside of daylight and there's not a lot of attention paid to it by reporters. and you know, when there, there is a culture there of secrecy, and this seems to have extended uh, to those initial days and in cooperating with investigations and revealing what, what was known. So more information is going to come out as the long and short of it. So,
0: Zach, you have now, in your reporting, have drawn the other side of the Hudson into the scandal, or at least trying to draw the other, so much so that you got an interesting phone call from the executive director of the Port Authority last week. You want to tell us about that?
1: Okay. <laughs> I did, yes. Uh, Patrick Foy is the executive director of the Port Authority. um, We we were inquiring about Pat Foy, who had written an email that was leaked, by the way, by someone we believe on the New York side, an email that on September 13th, the fourth or the third day of the lane closures, where he identified that this is an internal email within the Port Authority as a crime. He basically said that the lane closures were a violation of federal law and the laws of both states. So I had asked Governor Cuomo about this, whether or not he thought, you know, since a crime had been committed, that perhaps he should have been informed and perhaps people should have been, you know, immediately taking drastic measures to look into what happened, call for an investigation. And it sounds like none of those things were done. I mean, Cuomo says that he wasn't informed. I don't have any evidence that 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 was not the case. Um, And there's Pat Foy did not... Notify the Inspector General, which is the law enforcement arm within the Port Authority. Um, so anyway, I was asking questions about this. Plummel had said to me, "You know, you're going to have to ask Pat Foy why he didn't do that." So we went to the Port Authority monthly meeting, and you decided to ask Pat, him. Said again, I'm sorry.
0: Uh, so you decided to ask him.
1: You decided to ask him. I mean, that, that was for percy- se, you know. Okay, fine, we'll ask him. Well, the answer is, you know, we was the first. You know, we went to the press conference. First question right out of the gate, I asked him, and you know, he basically said, "No, I didn't." You know, I mean, he 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 did not, in fact, inform law enforcement, even though he identified it as a crime. Well, that's a real problem, Michael. You know, I mean, it, it, you got you got the, the governor's top guy there, identifying a crime was committed, and there are a number of crimes here that, that rattle off that were potentially committed. Um, you know, misuse of government property, interference of interstate commerce, um, a number of issues. Um, why didn't he do that? So anyway, we, we, we were sort of inquiring about this, trying to find out, you know, what exactly was done. Clearly, you know, he did not go to authorities. Um, and eventually, uh, I was dealing with the second floor, which is Cuomo's office. Eventually, they said, well, we're going to have Pat Boy call you and clarify some of this stuff. Uh, so he called, and he was, uh, he was very unhappy, <laughs> to, put it, to put it mildly.
0: So much so, he used the Yiddishism.
1: He did use Yiddish. He, he he called, he said, I hear you have some, you know, I, I don't want to say the expletive, but, uh, Fakakna theories was the, the term he used precisely. Said it a couple of times, um, which was surprising because, uh, yeah, I don't think he speaks Yiddish, right? Pat Foy doesn't sound like it.
0: Anybody um, in New York politics speaks Yiddish, please.
1: <laughs> it's a good point, Jeff. They speak
0: <laughs> enough to understand the expletive words.
1: <laughs> and certainly that word, right? Fakakta. So, you know, fakakta is admit, a
0: great you know, word. Uh, there's no question. It it, it has so much uh, pregnant meaning. It's there's just there's so many ways it can go when you say fakakta. <laughs>
1: yeah. So and it was you know a term I, I had you know I obviously was familiar with but hadn't, hadn't heard uh, coming out of the mouth of a public official directed at me.
0: Certainly um, not with one with the first name of Patrick.
1: What said, Cer- what was his first?
0: One with the name of first name of Patrick.
1: Yes, precisely.
2: Patrick
0: and Yiddish <laughs> don't always go together. That's what I was getting at.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly.
2: But but let's but just more directly
0: more directly where so Foy I, and I will say I, from my understanding of the of what has been going on it I have, I guess, not dug that as quite as deep, but Pat Foy seems to be the hero of the story so far. Are, are you trying to say that perhaps this, this heroic narrative is not quite uh, what it is made out to be?
1: I, I think it's fair to say that, yes. I, I, I don't know that I'm prepared to say that he did anything wrong, that he necessarily violated the public Officer's law, although, you know, there are certainly ethics codes. He's a member of the bar. There are certain, you know, obligations he has as a lawyer to do certain things. You know, Governor Cuomo himself proposed in a bill, public corruption last year, that public officials who see a crime need to report it. Otherwise, they're going to be charged with a misdemeanor. So, you know, there are certainly questions about what he was obligated to do. What's very interesting is that this email was leaked to sort of weave that narrative that if it wasn't for New York, you know, New Jersey would have gotten away with this dastardly crime here. And, and that may be partially true, but if you're going to start to look at the bi-state agency, you know, you have to start asking questions about, But okay, did they aid and abet this cover-up, or did they immediately put a stop to it? And the notion that, you know, Governor Cuomo, who's been saying all along, this is a Jersey issue, it's not a New York issue, well, hang on a second. The minute a Port Authority cop puts down a cone to block traffic lanes, that's a New York problem, because that's a bi-state agency.
0: Well, he wouldn't be the first politician pointing the finger to somebody else, and I I can understand why he might not want to pick a fight over this, if certainly if Jersey is looking at taking the fall, but let's, I guess, look for a second at the Current state of the drip of public information. Right, we have David Wildstein. We have every day. There's more and more emails and texts that are being leaked. One today, in particular, has come out with regard to a local New Jersey rabbi that they seem to have been making fun of.
1: Yeah, I, I saw that. And and the, cause some of the some of the documents that uh, Wildstein had initially released were redacted, which was very odd because people were saying, "Why is that?" And, and apparently, him and Bridget Kelly uh were making jokes about this rabbi and and uh made a joke about how could you know could we cause traffic problems in front of his house and they made a reference also to Sid Wilson who I know I haven't seen or talked to him in a while and I'm not sure what group he's now currently representing but he's run for assembly before. Sid's basically a nice guy. And they're joking about him and how this guy is the Jewish Sid Wilson. I'm not even sure what that reference means, but Sid Wilson's quote in the I believe it was NJ.com article, you know, was something along the lines of, I don't even know this person. I don't know why they're making jokes about him. I mean, it's what it is, is bizarre. You know, it, it, it sounds like there was a sort of jokey culture within the Christie administration about the people they were inconveniencing. You know, they treated the whole thing as a big sort of funny, you know, hey, we're going to get you, joke. And, of course, you know, and and this is where you come back to to Pat boy, you know, if a crime was committed, that's not funny. You know, we do know that that emergency vehicles were delayed. They did it on the first day of school in New Jersey. I mean, it's not funny. You're playing with traffic. Um... So, you know, it goes to to the mindset of of what they were thinking when they did all this. It sounds like they just thought it was this light, frothy, practical joke, but of course it, it was not.
0: So you're familiar with David Wildstein. You've covered him in the past, and he's hired an attorney who is hostile, has long been hostile, or viewed as hostile to the Christie administration. What does that portend?
1: I think that he's, you know, he's trying very hard to get immunity, and he... If he gets immunity, I'd be willing to bet that David has a lot more damning evidence. I, I don't know that he necessarily has, you know, the, the tie, Christie, to the direct knowledge, but he's probably got something pretty close. I mean, Dave, David is, is a pretty meticulous guy. He, he is very well sourced. He's, you know, his reputation is a bit of a pack rat guy keeps everything, all communications. um... You know, he is he is one of the few people who could potentially, and knows Christie well enough to bring him down. Again, I can't say with any certainty that he has it. He certainly claimed to have had it. But, you know, David and, and, and Christie go way, way back. I mean, they, they, they've known each other a long time, and Christie's efforts to distance himself from David Wildstein have been, you know, acrobatics, in my opinion. Well
0: said, acrobatic. I like that uh, <laughs> adjective there. Uh what about this Randy Mastro investigation? Okay, he, Randy Mastro, well-known here in New York City as a former deputy mayor to Rudy Giuliani, who is a Christie ally, and he has been retained. He's also a lawyer for the Port Authority, and he has been retained to do an internal investigation. Uh, and we're going to, to now look at what
1: he – are we going to see what he comes up with? Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I think Christie, you know, certainly Randy Mastro has, from the beginning in all of this, played a role in assisting the Port Authority with what we talked about before, maybe not producing the documents it was asked for. We know that he's now doing this internal investigation for Christie. I mean, look, the guy's an attorney. He's got every right to go represent whatever client he wants. Um, You know, Christie's internal review, I don't have all that much confidence we're going to be very impressed by what it finds. Christie is the governor of the state of New Jersey. He must do something, right? He's got to at least say, hey, I was in the dark here. This is horrible. I need to conduct my own review to find out what was going on here. But I just don't think there's going to be a lot to come out of that. I think it's it's more symbolic than anything else. I think where we're really going to see something is this legislative investigation. And we're certainly going to see something if the U.S. attorney... Wants to charge someone with a crime. That that's when we're, that's when all this is really really going to come out. And if David Wildstein is granted that immunity by Paul Fishman, the U.S. Attorney in Newark, that is going to be a very interesting development in terms of what we all find out. No.
0: Now nobody has really identified specifically what the crime might be yet. Well, you know, I mean, just putting closing a lane, and I understand as ridiculous as it is. To go ahead and put people through hours and hours of traffic, okay? But I've seen that at construction sites all the time, and I understand it's malicious, whatever you can justify. But maybe somehow you could justify. Where? What would the crime be? What is it? What is the criminal activity involved in closing that
1: lane? Well, but I mean, you, you start with interference of interstate commerce, right? I mean, that, that could be, that could potentially be the primary. You have misuse of government employees, misuse of government property. I mean, these are all in and of themselves not exactly, you know, murder one. I mean, they're not exactly, you know, but, but when you, you throw, you know, prosecutors can find things to charge people with, you know, if there's, there is some sort of gross disruption or violation of law. Um, you know, look at look at. I mean, and the Jersey, you know, the U.S. attorney, or the US attorney's office in New Jersey is famous for you know racketeering cases. I mean, what does racketeering even mean? You know, they're they're able to basically prove conspiracy among a group of people who have bad intentions. Um, so you know, it, it's could they build? Could the U.S. attorney build the case? Absolutely. You know, uh, Christie himself was was very adept at getting people who had given bribes, taking bribes, you know, getting them on things like mail fraud because they put, they put things in the mail. Um, you know, so he, he very often didn't get them for the actual real crime that they were initially charged with, but got them to, be to a much lesser crime.
0: Now, Christie has done, I think at this point, two town hall forums, and Bridgegate really hasn't been at the forefront. In fact, I'm not even sure if there's really been a question. Now, perhaps people don't want to hear from him or he's pre-programmed them not to ask questions. But is it possible the public has kind of just said, "Ah, let's just move on wherever the investigations go, but let's just not talk about this all the time. You know, we sit here in our little political bubble and love to talk about the intrigue here, but maybe people out there, unless there was an actual crime committed or unless there's some kind of smoking gun, they just don't care so much.
1: I think that's possible. I think there certainly are people who, who, who do believe that or are sick of talking about it or are sick of hearing about it. Uh, you know, I know Christie's town hall meetings, many of which I covered, you know, he has a very, very selected, hand-picked audience of these things. You know, he, they, he does not wade into territory. And, and the Christie, the Christie people were very, very good at this. And, and I'm not suggesting that that's in any way nefarious politically very
0: smart. Yeah, I heard Hillary Clinton used to do that kind of thing when she was running uh, against Barack Obama in the primary.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a great way to, to, to make the argument that, that people are much more interested in your in your strong policies than they are in any potential scandals or negative stories. Um, so, you know, Christie is the master at that. I mean, if we go back to what the scandal might have originally been about, he was also very good at getting you know, running up the score and getting Democrats to endorse him. I mean, that was, you know, allegedly why this whole thing was carried out in the first place was a retaliation against the Portly mayor for not endorsing him for reelection. So, you know, the, the crispy political people are, are, you know, are just about the best they are. I mean, you know, Mike Duhaime and Bill Palatucci, I mean, those guys are very smart and play the game very, very well.
0: Okay, we're talking to Zach Fink here on Spin Class. And Zach, I want to thank you for updating us on Bridgegate. I imagine there's going to be more to talk about in the coming weeks. So, uh, we're going to, we're going to extend an invitation, uh, for a future show. And, uh, I appreciate your coming on once
1: again. I'd love to come on again, Michael. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Okay. Here with the Christie Bridgegate update, it might have to become a regular segment here on the show. Thank you, Zach Fink. And we are going to move into our special segment. Here on SPIN Class, once again sponsored by Beckerman Public Relations, Beckerman Public Affairs. And we have with us, uh, very privileged to have here, Rabbi Steve Berg, who is the Eastern Director at the Simon Wiesenthal Center. He's a graduate of Yeshiva University, where he received smicha, and he was for 22 years at the Orthodox Union and NCSY with a very distinguished career there. Rabbi Berg, welcome to SPIN Class.
3: Thank you very much for having me.
0: So it, I'm lament saying the entire uh, talking about this entire subject, but uh, it's sad to say that in 2014 incidents of anti-Semitism are you know seem to be alive and well even in the state with the most Jews in the entire country, if not the, you know pretty much the world, in New York, and we have uh, had a run of anti-Semitic incidents in a upstate school district actually more like a hudson valley school district called pine bush so you want to tell the audience what's been going on there and uh what you know what is being done
3: sure um you know there i think most people are aware the new york times had an article going back a number of months now uh in terms of
2: the lawsuit
3: between some of the jewish families in the school district in pine bush and there are a lot of accusations of uh, some terrible things that happened uh, that were anti-semitic and uh the complaints really were that that uh some of the personnel at the school didn't take it uh, as seriously as they, as they probably should have. Um, and as a result, um, the some weasel Center uh, publicly called out the school district on it. The, the governor in the state of the state publicly called the, uh, the school district out on it. Um, and right now they're in the midst of that lawsuit, uh, but the, the school district has been uh, kind of initiating um, some contacts to try and, and help out with any issues they might have. Um, and so what that led us to is last week, we actually hosted um, here at our Museum of Tolerance on 42nd Street, we had the superintendent of the Pine Bush School, system, uh, school, school District down here, Joan Carbone. And then um, that was on a Wednesday, and then the following day on Thursday, I went uh, to the Pine Bush School District, and I toured the high school and the middle school uh, to really kind of eyeball you know, what was going on there, what things that they were trying to do, and what things we could do to, to make sure uh, that if these issues come up, they're handled appropriately.
0: What type of incidents are we talking about? We're talking about physical types of uh, intimidation, verbal. I mean, what, what has been exactly transpiring there? And uh, what, you know, did people, who knew what when? I guess that would be my second question.
3: So, again, you know, this is, uh, this is being litigated in the courts right now.
0: But uh, what was being alleged, and this is going back uh, a
3: couple of years ago, uh, that, that some incidents that took place in middle school, an incident of uh, marketing swastikas, incidents incident of, of bullying, but anti-Semitic bullying on, on the buses. Um, and really the claim is that, you know, that the parents talked to administrators and they didn't act appropriately as they should have. But it was, it was it certainly based in middle school bullying, but it had an anti-Semitic bent to it.
0: So is it possible this was all just kind of innocent, uh, playful banter amongst uh, students? Uh, look, b-
3: bullying is never... You know, is never particularly innocent. There's always a victim uh, in bullying incidents. You know, we deal with a lot of cyberbullying now and all these different types of things. So bullying always has a victim, and schools are are dealing with it. You know, um, is it possible that it was? I don't think it was it was innocent. I think you know, maybe some of the folks could have done a better job at dealing with it. Um, it's not the general run-of-the-mill type of stuff that we deal with in places like Greece and Hungary and Ukraine and all around the world right now. Uh, but it, it's serious enough that uh, there need to be educational um, things set in place to kind of teach, you know, staff and and the kids, students in the school, uh, that this type of stuff is intolerable and unacceptable.
0: And I guess the big failure that the governor, Governor Cuomo, has identified, and others, is the fact that this went unreported. Like that, apparently, those in power, or those in positions of authority, knew about it, and they either didn't take it seriously or chose not to do anything or condoned it. I guess that would be even worse. What, what is the sense of having working with, uh, with the people there is, as what happened and what's going on? And I know it's being litigated, but I'm just trying to get your sense of, uh, of things.
3: Yeah, look, you know, my sense is, and, and, and the general complaint, again, is not that any faculty did anything,
0: but that there were things that happened among students
3: and uh, they weren't dealt with as, as properly and quickly as they, they should have. Uh, you know, my sense is that a lot of the folks you're dealing with now, for example, Joan Carbone, the uh, the, the current superintendent, she just became the superintendent
2: um, literally,
3: you know, not long before this article came out. And the lawsuit
2: and allegations
3: were a few years before that. Um, so she really is, was not the person in charge when it happened. Uh, my sense is that maybe not everything that could have been done at the time was done. Um, I, I did get a sense uh, in spending a lot of time, I spent really two full days with the staff, that they're pretty uh, pretty dedicated to to fixing those things up. They've been doing a lot of work with the ADL. Um, we're working right now, and hopefully going to be starting this month uh, with having uh, groups from the Pine Bush uh, School District uh, come to our Museum of Tolerance to go through um, our training here. Um, you know, I, I actually attended a diversity club when I was there that was working with all the freshman students. Um, I'm going to be going back there to lecture in the, in the summer, and uh, you know, I definitely got a sense that they that they realized um, and, again, they're in the middle of litigation, so they're a little bit limited in what they can say, but they are, they do realize um, that, they, that they need to um, do the appropriate things and trainings and set them up. And from what I saw, they're really headed in the right direction, and, and they're using the Simon Wiesendorf Center as a
2: partner for that.
0: Well, that's good. That's a good step in the right direction as far as uh, – and I guess the – one of the – interesting things is that this took a long time to come to light these allegations go back a couple years Uh, even the lawsuit goes back quite some time before anything really became a cause or anything became known or really before there was this big uproar why wasn't the district inviting people like yourself or other groups in the second that lawsuit came to light
3: Um, again look i I think there's been a change in leadership literally right before the article came out um, and i think that Superintendent Carbone, she has really jumped on this, and she had even initiated a number of things um, that I saw that were in place even before the article came out. Um, so I don't think everything that they've done has been a direct result. I think they were trying to do things even before that. Um, but as you know, litigation takes a long time. I, I, I would imagine uh, this lawsuit will still be around for a few years um, until it gets you know, uh, litigated out. And,
2: but to their credit,
3: instead of you know, circling the wagons, um, they've thrown open the doors of their schools and inviting you know, many groups in to kind of take a look at what they were doing. So, so I, I think that uh, they've been on this pathway, and I think what they've done is they've you know kind of sped it up a little bit.
0: Well, that's good to know that they were already on the path towards uh, reconciliation, I guess. Uh, now some how, how are the re- the people, let's say the parents or those not affiliated with the schools, those not in working for the schools, how have they reacted to these complaints of or, of anti-Semitism or, and un, unchecked anti-Semitism amongst either their kids or other people's kids?
3: I think, you know, I think in the Pine Bush in general, from what I, I got a sense, and you know, I, I met with the, some of the members of the school board when I was there, and I met with uh, actually one of the county legislators when I was there. Um, I think it was, it was very mixed. I think some of the people uh, felt that the New York Times article was overkill, and they were embarrassed by it. Um, and you know, other people thought that you know really there were serious you know issues in the school. So I think it's a really mixed reaction. You know the Pine Bush School District is, is huge. I mean it's really tremendously large, and a lot large parts of it are rural. You have kids coming from, from all kinds of different places there. Um, so even you know put the anti-Semitism aside, um, they've really got their challenges in integrating the kids because while they do have multiple middle schools, all the kids come together for one high school. So you know you may have a kid that grew up in a more rural rural area. And the kid grew up
0: in more of like a city type, area, a city type area. I'm not sure there are any cities. Just interrupting there. Yeah, okay. There
3: are there are, there are more. Let's, let's say there are uh, neighborhoods that might be more considered more affluent uh, than some of the others, um, and that's that's a challenge.
0: Yeah, so there's no. Quite, it is a big school district. If anybody is just wondering, Pine Bush actually covers uh, parts of three different counties: Yeah. Um, Sullivan, Ulster, and Orange counties, and it encom- encompasses a number of different communities so it, it definitely is an it, interesting uh, mix uh, as far as the reach that it covers now one thing I, I read it, in some of the publications out there which I found particularly disturbing is that some of the local residents blamed Jews for spreading the story which uh, of course is you know something you find over time we find historically that when there you are know, incidents of anti-Semitism, uh, there immediately there are people out there uh, who go ahead and blame Jews for giving the neighborhood a bad name.
3: Right. Look, that's obviously always a complicated accusation, because in truth, we did spread the story, because it was an important story for people to hear about. And the Simon Wiesnall Center was very vocal about what was going on there. And, you know, so in a certain sense, we, we, we do spread the story, because we want to shine a, a light on it and create more transparency. Um, I, I could tell you that I met with probably the majority of the school board when I was there, um, along with the, the professional staff, the schools, and stuff. Um, I, I did not, I did not get that, that sense from them. Um, I, I did get the sense from them that they were fairly determined to to not belabor what happened in the past, you know, and 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 you know, obviously, even for legal reasons, they have a tough time talking about it. But they really, really were focused uh, on the future. You know, I spent a lot of time there with the principal. Of the high school, Pine Bush High School, Aaron uh, Hotmer. He's actually is a Jewish fellow. He's really I thought he was a tremendous personality. And we talked a lot about the things that he's instituted in high school to bring the kids together. And you know, m- most of my career was spent with with, uh, with high school kids in NCSY. Um, and I tell you,
0: I was I was very very impressed with my tour of the high school. We're talking with Rabbi Steve Berg, the Eastern Director for the Simon Wiesenthal Center, here on. Spin class. We're sponsored by Beckerman Public Relations and Rabbi Berg. What do you? I, I guess you're. What you're saying is that you know, things are gonna be better. It's it's a question of diversity training. It's a question of. Uh, it's a question of under of mutual understanding, and that people need to. They come from different backgrounds. They need to learn to live together, uh, but. Let me just ask, in 2014, I mean, how much... people can't possibly be that isolated, right? I mean, they're in school, they have internet, they know that they're... it's not that these communities are without immigrants and without people who don't speak English as a first language. All all of New York State is, except for maybe some pockets of the North country, is pretty diverse. Orange County is not a non-diverse place, which is most of the district. And you have uh, and a lot of the the villages and the like have have uh, quite a bit of uh, of people of color. So how much is that excuse really valid to say, you know, we don't have enough diversity training?
3: You know, look, I think diversity training is a part of it. More importantly than any of this is to ensure that any school, as the school system or education system has mechanisms in place to deal with the issues when they arise. Because the bottom line is this, you're going to have bullying and you're going to have, you know, racism, anti-Semitism. You're going to have comments that are made um, that are really intolerable to people. It's going to happen when you've got that many kids in the same place, and lots of them are immature. Especially, you know, these incidents happen in middle school, you know, where kids are even less mature. But the question you really have to ask yourself is, do we have appropriate mechanisms in place that when when a complaint is made, what happens to that complaint? Right? Does it get does it go to the principal? Does it go to the superintendent? Is everyone aware of that? And I think that was what, what the governor was, was making sure of. You know, making sure that, you know, if appropriate, law enforcement is informed. You know, what are those mechanisms in place? And I think that's the challenge. All the diversity stuff, I think, is, is also an incredibly important tool for education. But also, you know, when there has to be you know, fail-faces in there because it's going to happen. It's just gonna, that's what happens when kids are around. We have to make sure appropriately that the mechanisms are in place to deal with it in, in an appropriate way.
0: So you're very concerned with regard to the process, the process that being dealt with when things happen, when bad things happen. We got to make sure that we have a process in place to deal with it. And I, I get that. I understand that. Uh, one last question as we as we move on in this segment for you is the you know, Orange County being the the where Keiris Joel is Rockland County uh, with home to a very large Hasidic Orthodox population and Sullivan County also having a very, uh, significant Orthodox population. There have been tensions, uh, both political and, uh, and actually personal tensions, uh, amongst the communities out there, um, over all kinds of issues. How much is that, does that play or has that played in? I th- I've read in a number of news, news outlets, local and some of the Jewish ones, that that has been a big driver of this issue.
3: It gets, I think it's an issue whenever, you know, kids, when they go to school, they come from a home. And a lot of times they'll hear parents speak, and sometimes it's positive things, sometimes it's negative things. And they'll carry that, quote-unquote, baggage with them uh, to school. So, you know, obviously those types of things um, affect it. and uh, But the bottom line is I think a lot of those things that the adults really have to sit at the table together. And, you know, we're, we're very aware of that stuff. Um, and, but you know what, even, you know, even the knockout game has the middle of Brooklyn. You know, so to say, it's kind of happening here in the, in, in the outskirts of, of the city. You, know, you can have it happen anywhere, and I think uh, you know from what I'm seeing up there, there, there are a lot of attempts for people to kind of sit down uh, and have conversation. And I was very encouraged uh, by, the, by the fellow that was there. Uh, I mentioned the uh, Jeffrey Berkman, um, who's the
2: county legislator,
3: who is very dedicated to trying to, to help with that situation, other situations. Um, I, I think again, it's going to be a lot of conversations with. with Kids, in some ways, it's a little bit easier. Like I was saying, there's certain mechanisms you can take a place in the school. You know, when you're out of school and a person is a price your own home or they're on the Internet and
2: you have all the freedoms afforded to
3: us, it gets much more complicated. So
2: I don't think those issues are going away.
3: But, um, you know, we're going to try and stay focused on the kids. And hopefully if we can stay focused on the kids and turn out a generation which is much more tolerant and open and diverse, then they'll be able to, you know, we, we won't have as many of those issues popping up.
0: Okay, Rabbi Steve Berg, Eastern Director of the Simon Wiesenthal Center, out there on the front lines, working to combat anti-Semitism, promote tolerance, and the like. Rabbi Berg, really, thank you for all the great work. You've given me a little bit of hope here. Uh, I was a little bit despondent about this story. <laughs> Good. So, uh, so hopefully a little bit, and hopefully what you're doing is going to work.
3: Yeah, so, well, look, they, they, I can, you know, I can, you can check back with me in the next two, three months where we're starting to get the first groups of students from Pine Bush. Down to our museum um, to go through our, our training and, and our education here. So
2: you can check back, but, I, but I'm hopeful
3: it'll, it'll make a
0: difference. Okay, well, hopefully, though, the, that generation will not be quite as fearful of the other, or particularly fearful of of Jews, and uh, particularly uh, Jews who might dress uh, a little bit different than everybody else. So uh, I, I think you're doing great work, and thanks for please keep it up. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Okay, we're here, spin class, and uh, we are gonna, I guess, talk about a tangential issue, but not really, in my mind, all that tangential to what we just discussed in Pine Bush, because it happens to be going on in the same school district, and right now, there is a significant conflict, political conflict, uh, real estate conflict personal conflict, all kinds of conflict going on in the tiny village of Bloomingburg, which is in the eastern part of Sullivan County, in Sullivan County, but part of the Pine Bush School District, and you have a group that is avowedly determined to keep uh, any type of Hasidic Jews out of their village, so much so that if you go up the 17, and uh, I know many of Our listeners don't do that until the weather, the climate is quite a bit warmer. But if you do, you'll see some signs with uh, a face, with a hat and some payas and a beard with a a big red circle and a line through that, basically saying uh, we don't want uh, Hasidic Jews here in this community. So we have with us Shalom Lamb, who is the owner of Black Creek uh, Developers, who is developing a townhouse, community that may be sold uh, or is ca- interested in selling uh, fra- to Hasidic Jews. Uh, Shalom, welcome to Spin Class.
2: Hey, how are you, Michael? Nice to speak with you.
0: It's a pleasure. And uh, I, Shalom, I, I can say I've gotten to know you uh, recently, and I, I, I have you know, nothing but a lot of respect. I think you're doing uh, a, an incredible job at really revitalizing a little corner of Sullivan County that uh, a lot of us know. Is, has really not been all that economically developed uh, as of late, and uh, it's fallen on hard times. And you know, they're kind of everybody's crossing their fingers hoping for a casino. But here's a guy like you—you want to come, you want to build, you want to create economic development, and uh, your opponents uh, don't want you there, and they don't want your people. So what's going on? Give us the background.
2: So the background is that um, uh, my partner and I bought this property uh, many years ago, and our intention. Uh, was not to build a Hasidic community, nor is it still to build a Hasidic community, by the way. Um, and uh, over time, through the, the ebbs and flows of economic uh, bad times, our, our plans changed. Uh, and it went from a golf course community to a different type of community, and finally it came out to 396 townhouse units, very attractive units, by the way. And um, as it became public that we had gone through the very tough, very difficult Uh, development process, approval process in New York State, we were approached by various various Hasidic groups to find out would, would they be allowed to move here. And the question itself, think about that question, would we be able to move there is almost absurd. We've almost gotten used to the fact that it's okay to exclude Hasidic groups from development. What do I mean by that? Well, Hasidic groups, we know they have a lot of kids. Those families are growing at an exponential rate. And what happens is if they go to a community and say, hey, we would like to build a community for our people who need these houses, you'll find in the anecdotal evidence is overwhelming that all of a sudden there are new regulations and moratoriums and new villages being formed. So they just sort of get shut out of this process. Now that they're in a village, uh, excuse me, in a place like Williamsburg where prices are rising tremendously and they have these large families, you can imagine there's an enormous squeeze on this very large middle-class population. Well... We had gone through that process, and we were approached with this question, can we move there? Such an odd question. And, and, and really, it should be anybody can move here. We're open for everyone, and that's the fact. We're open for everyone. The anecdotal evidence is overwhelming that there's been an enormous amount of interest from the Hasidic community in moving to the village of Bloomingburg, a beautiful and wonderful little village, uh, into this development. And it has, unfortunately, unleashed a torrent of hate groups, um, of uh, discrimination, of corruption, uh, really things that you, you can almost not even conceive could occur in 2014.
0: So, shall tell me for a second, I was reading this absolutely abhorrent statement that I saw from a, a local opponent who said, well, I'm not an anti-Semite because I'm Jewish. I'm just anti-Hasidic. So <laughs> a- a- as if – I and I'm just going to give you a, a parallel to me. is just like to say, well, I'm not anti-Latino. I like Puerto Ricans, but I don't like Dominicans. And as okay. if – I mean, I don't even understand the whole idea that you could say I don't like somebody based on the fact that they might wear a hat. I mean, it just – Okay, I, I'll stop there before I get it,
2: to the it, 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 I, And we can both kind of foam at the mouth at this because it, the idea is so absurd. It, it's sort of the new anti-Semitism. Uh, it's like saying, I'm, I'm, I, I, I don't mind Jews, but I hate Israel. Uh, that, well, that's the new anti-Semitism here on a more local level. Uh, it's, uh, I'm okay with Jews. But, boy, those who see them, they are an okay target. It's legitimate for me. And here are people who will go to church on Sunday and I'm sure think that they're good people and they pat their little kids on the head, but they have no problem. I'll give you a concrete example. No problem. Last Friday night, I went to services here in Bloomingburg, New York, with my family, and people... In, in front of what was being used as sort of a makeshift place to have services, we're sitting there with signs saying the most abhorrent things. And you, know, and, and you couldn't take pictures
0: because it was Shabbos, of course, right?
2: Well, yeah, well we've, got, we've got pictures of oh, it. Oh, you've got pictures? pictures of, oh, yeah, we've got pictures of it. And then the comments on Facebook to those pictures were, uh, look at those Jews, I want to barf. Uh, and then things that simply can't be said on the radio, the FCC would shut you down. Uh, it, it, it is and here are people who brought their children to this protest so that they could see how wonderful their parents are behaving in shutting out the Hasidim because they are an okay target they're, they're an okay The whole concept is simply bizarre. Now I have to say, it, it must be said as many truly despicable people that have shown up here and they come from Pine Bush, it has to be said, and they come from Namikating, it has to be said, there are also very, very wonderful people here who've gone out of their way to show friendship, to show love. But I have to tell you, they do it privately. And the reason is because the hate groups are so intimidating uh, that they that people are fearful physically, and they're fearful, fearful for their businesses. Let me give you, Michael, one little quick example, and I think it'll drive it home. We own the commercial stores in the village of Bloomingburg. And, of course, the, uh, the, the local hate group say, the stores are closed, the stores are closed, Lamb is trying to destroy Bloomberg. look at that, the stores are closed. This is a very, very, very depressed area. should be very vibrant, very depressed area. So we say, of course, we'd love the stores to be full. Who wants empty stores? So we have a guy, a local guy, not Jewish guy, wonderful guy, he's a fireman, he's a family man, he's a terrific guy. He and his wife take their life savings to open up a restaurant in our building so great we prepare the building and we do all the things we have to do Then he goes in and makes investments and he gets liquor licenses and health department permits you name it it goes to the whole nine yards and then the local hate groups put him on a boycott list catch this word a boycott list in 2014 in the United States of America why because I own the building and I'm bringing in Hasidim and therefore they boycotted him. He couldn't get the restaurant open. Lost every single nickel of his savings.
0: So you're saying there's actually a boycott list? of absolutely. People who want to. anybody
2: anybody listed
0: with us? Is this something yeah. that you can find out there? Is that
2: is that is that
0: available? Sure.
2: Oh, can... absolutely. You can find it on Facebook. Um, it gets uh, it gets updated. You boycott this person. Boycott that person. Boy boycott people who are relatives. Not not even. The mayor of Bloomingburg himself, the most honorable and fine and good person, uh, anybody, a, anybody who's a relative of the mayor, their businesses have been boycotted. I mean, it's it just—it it, it is simply staggering. I'll tell you something, that Michael, that's even more disturbing. Outside of our development, which is a 396-unit ten-house development, a, a local group, local hate group, has gone together and they affected in a. A 30-foot wooden cross. Anybody who's listening to this has to say, what do you mean erected a 30-foot wooden cross? Yeah, erected a 30-foot wooden cross just right in front of a village, in front of a development, that there may be a lot of Hasidic buyers. If that doesn't say volumes, and the most disturbing about that disturbing episode is where are the religious and moral leaders locally? I'll tell you, they're hiding in the shelters. They cannot be found. We have not heard a single voice raised in protest, not a single voice that understands the historical meaning of a cross being used as an attack against Jews. It's almost staggering for anyone with any moral sense to, to, to see this on a daily basis and not want to just recoil in horror, but that's the environment in which we're, we're existing here. However... The people who are here, a bunch of families have already moved into the village of Blumenberg itself, not into that development, but into the village itself. I want you to know there's an enormous sense of optimism here. Uh, there have been very nice, kind friendships formed between neighbors, uh, between Jewish and non-Jewish neighbors. Uh, so, so notwithstanding the total void of any moral leadership here, particularly on the part of the religious groups, very, very, very disappointing, um, human nature, hopefully, Will take its proper toll and we'll develop a, a community here where everyone, where absolutely everyone, Jew, non Jew, religious, atheist, everybody feels comfortable. That's the goal.
0: I guess I should have kept uh, Rabbi Berg on for this discussion so he can hear about this, but I imagine he's aware of what's going on. And we're talking to Shalom Lamb, who is a developer upstate in New York in Sullivan County and has endured, uh, I guess, nothing short of harassment. Uh, uh, well, asked bigotry boycotts and the like uh, over the potential plans to build housing for the Hasidic Jewish community and let's just talk for a second uh, about how how we got to this point I mean this this doesn't this can't happen overnight. Is it just that people are so angry? What is it that they're angry about? It, are they just unable, to, unwilling to listen? Nobody willing to sit down? I, I mean, how, how is it that intelligent people in 2014 can't sit down and, and reconcile the differences? Uh, Rabbi Berg just talked about how the fact that a lot of the leadership of the schools are willing to, have been willing to sit down with him and have dialogue and talk about tolerance and diversity training.
2: People have been willing to talk about uh, dialogue, about uh, diversity training, and I'm sure there are some really fine people of goodwill because the national spotlight has shined on the problems in Pine Bush. This doesn't mean to say there aren't wonderful people in Pine Bush. There most certainly are. There are also some very, very evil people in Pine Bush. There are a lot of people who, until the spotlight was shined on them, were perfectly happy to see horrible things going on and not pay attention to it. You know, there's a, a wonderful saying, and it, it rings so true, that evil flourishes when good people are silent. There's a, a, an enormous echo chamber of silence that's going on throughout this whole area, particularly in Pinebush, excuse me, in Bloomberg. You know, we like to say, that those, those of us who are here in Bloomberg. That you know the national spotlight is focused on on Pine Bush, which is good and healthy and wonderful, and the work that Steve Berg and his guys are doing are are just phenomenal. I mean, he's a real hero of the Jewish people. But it's it's almost Bush League when you compare it to what's going on here in Bloomberg. I don't mean to minimize anything. All hatred is bad, wherever it comes from.
0: So why do you feel and
2: the ferocity here? It's simply staggering.
0: So Shalom, why do you feel that nobody is willing to address this? Why do you think that nobody is uh, people willfully ignoring it? They just don't know about it. They be they find it too shocking, even if they did know about it. The thirty foot cross and the like. I mean, how is it that people don't know about it? And you know, we're doing this as a follow up to the to the, a forward article that was pretty exhaustive that uh, talked about it and in certain ways seemed to almost condone some of the opposition to your project.
2: I have to say, I, I, uh, you know, the people from the forward, I'm, I'm sure they're good people. I, I was really taken aback by, uh, uh, by, there's almost this sense that uh, in order for us to be even-handed, this is sort of like a John Kerry dealing with Israel. Well, I'm going to prove that I'm even-handed by listening to something that some propagandist says, and I'll take it at face value with that question just to prove that I'm even-handed. You know what? when anti-semitism is there, when bigotry is there, for crying out loud, take sides. Don't be such a wuss. You know, (laughs) there's this political correctness that runs amok that sometimes makes cowards out of people who really ought to have a voice. I thought that that article was actually somewhat cowardly. Uh, It doesn't take a mental, moral genius to say that a cross standing up there like that is horrific. And when you say, you know, where is everybody, well, where are the moral leaders locally, regionally? So I will tell you that a local paper quoted a, a rabbi who knows nothing of what's going on here. And, oh, he just pontificated on, on how he knows people are fine here and everybody gets along. And I, I, mean, I read this stuff and I wanted a wretch. Uh, so you asked a very, very significant question, Michael, is how could it happen in this day and age uh, I, I don't want to make any comparison because it's, it, it is almost unfair between uh, what's going on in Bloomberg and what happened in uh, you know in early World War II. So let's go a little before that. It, in, I, all I want to say, without making any comparison whatsoever, that the German community, the general German community, was the most sophisticated and educated community in Europe. If you could have anti-Semitism there, you can have anti-Semitism in lower middle-class Bloomingburg. So that's not shocking to me. What is shocking to me is the people who should be the responsible adults who have been silent. That's what's shocking. What's shocking to me is when you have a supervisor of mammocating, which this village is part of mammocating, who is the number one responsible person here, has not only done nothing to stop the protest, nothing to, to join moral forces with a minority that's living here, he's been the instigator. He's been the absolute instigator. That to me is just horrific, shameful. It's absolutely shameful. And in terms of why hasn't anybody stopped it? Because we need more people like you, Michael, who are out there saying, hold it, this needs to be taken a look at. So that, that's, uh, in a nutshell, that's what's going on here. The word is really just getting out, but the struggles that we've endured for the last couple of years, people are really beginning to look and say, wow, There's something wrong here in America 2014.
0: Oh, no question about that. And it's not often that I get that much praise from my guests, so I really appreciate that. (laughs) We're talking with Shalom Lamb here on Spin Class, and we are discussing some of the current day. That means today, folks. We're talking about anti-Semitism going on or anti-Hasidism. What are Hasidics? I don't even know what to say. Anti-Orthodox. Um, you know, Shalom, I live in a community called Lawrence, Five Towns, Long Island. You might remember it. I think you once upon a time lived on <laughs> lived Long Island before you moved upstate. And uh, we had – we've had a political conflict over the school board elections and control of the school board. And, you know, there are many people within the public school community in Lawrence in the Five Towns in School District 15 who – said, who basically made the argument, in fact, one woman went to court that Orthodox people should be disqualified, people orthodox should be disqualified from serving on a school board because they follow a very narrow agenda and because they're not out for the community and they're and the like. And I guess there's this so I went through it I I, I know what what how many times the Orthodox community is viewed. But I think it's interesting what you said about this being the new anti Semitism, as if it's okay you know, it's not okay to be anti-Semitic, and then the New York Times is coming after you and, every, and and everything. But it is okay to say, you know, we don't want to live with other with Orthodox Jews. That's okay.
2: okay. Uh, you know, I'll will tell you a sad and heartwarming quick story. I know it's uh, it's a radio show, and I, uh, I like, I like the
0: when reason. they're sad and heartwarming at the same time.
2: It's sad and heartwarming. So we have an election coming up here on March 18th. It's a very, very important election, very, very hotly contested. It's, uh, it's, it's really bare-knuckles uh, politics.
0: Well, it's good because nothing... this is a political show, so it's important to talk politics.
2: <laughs> well, there we go. It's nothing I've ever been involved with before, and uh, part of it is heartening, part of it is disheartening. So I, I was speaking this morning to a, a, a high official in the village of Bloomingburg. He told me the following story. He's had a friend for many, many, many years this person signed his petition uh, as he was re-running as a candidate for mayor. And that's fine. And this person's wife is very ill with advanced kidney disease and goes to dialysis, I think, twice or three times a week. And I just heard this story a few hours ago. And uh, this person has been driven by a community member. This This older woman has been driven by a community member to her dialysis Two or three times a week, lovely community thing, for the past couple months. And he said, Wouldn't you know it? All of a sudden this person called up and said, You signed the petition in order for the mayor who approved this project that Facida may move into. You signed the petition, go drive yourself to dialysis. I'm never taking you again. And hung up, and that's the end. That's the very disheartening part. Imagine that. Punishing a woman who's got advanced kidney disease, an old woman, because her husband signed a petition that would let Hasidic Jews... Die. It's it's just staggering.
0: So what's the heartwarming part about it?
2: The heartwarming part is... That only I seems heard, sad. Uh, it's, it's horrible. The the heartwarming story is, and it's, it's important to know that this elderly woman is not a Jewish woman, is that I went to some of the folks here in the village who have moved in, in the last three, four, five weeks, Hasidic Jews, I told them the story, and I had more than 20 volunteers in a space of 30 seconds who said they would be happy to drive that woman every single time she needs to go. They would volunteer. It would be an honor for them to do it. That's the heartwarming part of the story. We've got to create an atmosphere. We are all one community. At the end of the day, we are what separates us. (laughs) Winston Churchill said a wonderful thing. He said what separates the British and the Americans, right, is we're separated by a common language. The, the, the idea is we may have our differences, but we are all Americans. We're all part of the same community. And what we'd like to create here is a community where everybody feels welcomed and everybody has a sense of responsibility for each other. Is that idyllic? Is that somehow uh, something that we won't be able to achieve? Probably not in its most ideal sense, but, boy, we're going to try as hard as we possibly can. And I think that story that just happened a few hours ago is one of those things that I feel very heart about.
0: Well, I'm glad that you feel heart-warmed. I'm still in shock over the first part of the story. So oh, I, that's going to take a little while for me to uh, to get past. But uh, Shalom Lamb from uh, Bloomingburg, New York, I guess reporting live from the, on the ground on the front lines of uh, it, today's 2014 anti-Semitism. Uh, Shalom, thanks for joining us here on Spin Class. I really appreciate it, and we're looking forward to hearing uh, how the election might turn out in a positive direction uh, for those that are not willing to tolerate hate and bigotry. So thank you.
2: Michael, thanks so much. I look forward to calling you back afterwards and, and talking about how we're going to celebrate uh, diversity, true diversity going forward. Thanks. Be well.
0: Wonderful. This is spin class. We're sponsored by Beckerman, Beckerman public relations, Beckerman com. And uh, after that, I'm, I'm a little bit depressed with regard to this discussion. Uh, I almost want to just go back to Bridgegate and read aloud the, Texts and emails from different members of the Christie administration. But let's just end with a little political, couple political notes and we're looking at the midterm elections and it certainly seems that the, while the House looks like it might stay safely in Republican hands, the U.S. Senate is more and more in play and we are seeing currently 55-45 to independence caucus with the Democrats and You definitely see in retirements uh, certain states now coming into play, like South Dakota with a strong Republican with retirement, and now a strong Republican coming forward to challenge sitting Senator Mark Udall in Colorado. So we're going to follow that closely going forward. It's not going to all be about Bridgegate for the next uh, couple months. Don't worry out there. Also in Israel, March 11th, big re-election. And I mean re-election, not a re-election of somebody, although the current mayor is up for re-election. It's a redo election. Because uh the Supreme Court threw out the original election in the city of Beit Shemesh, where many of our listeners uh actually live and uh or have our listeners have family. So Moshabit Bull and Ellie Cohen going at it once again kind of being looked at right now is a Haredi watershed and a lot of the uh Haredi groups are looking to make a a point with regard to all kinds of issues and grievances right now with regard to the draft and the like. So we'll see. We're going to have to unpack that as after in two weeks, uh, March 11th. We'll see what happens there. And as I've heard, as we close, uh, I've heard about big rallies being planned by the Haredi community to show political muscle. Uh, with regard to the current draft law and the like. So another Thursday, talking about politics, a little special segment on anti-Semitism. Thanks for joining us here on the Nachum Siegel Network. NachumSiegel.com, JM in the AM.org.